Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Great to see you today. Grab a Bible, start turning over. We will be turning to Acts 4, but before we get to Acts 4, I want you to turn to John chapter 3 and uh, just kind of park there, be ready to go. Uh, John chapter 3 in your Bibles. So I love to walk in the morning, and uh, especially when it's dark, it's my favorite time to walk. So I'm usually up early, I'm kind of an early bird, so I like to get out walking, and I was out walking today, and uh, the moon was absolutely stunning. I, I don't know if anybody, I, I know some of you probably aren't up that early, but anybody see the full moon today? You know, it was stunning. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. And uh, I've been enjoying walking lately because when it's cool, uh, the, usually the sky is like clear as day and you can see the stars and just shining brilliantly. But this morning was different because uh, I could see everything. Usually I can't see the road, but I could see everything. It's just like this thing is so bright. It's beautiful. And it got me thinking about a conversation I had just uh, in the last week or so with somebody who said, I, I, I'm really not sure there's a God. And, uh, and it just made me like, you know, when you look at the beauty and you look at what's going on and you're like, okay, how did this all happen then? And I'm wondering if you sometimes have doubts yourself. And I will say to you, honestly, I hope you do. I really hope you do. Do you ever question your salvation? Do you ever doubt just a little bit about like, like, man, I, I know God exists and I know there's a place in heaven and I, and I believe that, but do you ever have a little doubt? And, and I'll tell you why doubt is okay and why doubt is good. If you're questioning, I mean, it's, it's not a reflection on you don't have faith. If we take the scriptures like for what they are, you and I have no way to get to heaven on our own. Zero. You can't get there on your own. No matter what. We have to rely on God's grace. We have to rely on God forgiving us and showing us grace because this is, let me read you this verse. It's not from John. It's from Ephesians. Let me read this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You know what that did? It strips us from our ability to get there. You can't be good enough to get there. You have to fully trust, trust with your eternity that God really does love us, that God really does forgive us. And here's why doubt's okay. Because if all we have to do is look at our life. Anybody got a messed up life here? Say amen if you do. 
Yeah, everybody should say it. Everybody should say amen really resoundingly because I think the more you live, the more you realize. Just look back. How many, how many things have you messed up in your life? How much sin have you done in your life? And if one sin, one, one, negates us from going to heaven on our own, the only shot I have of getting to heaven is God's grace. That's it. Nothing more. And so there's going to be a tension in our lives of I'm trying to do what's right, but, but I keep blowing it. God, please forgive me. And I have to trust in His forgiveness. I have to trust in His grace. And trusting is always hard. It is. Who can you trust in your life that hasn't let you down sometime in your life? Tell me one. And so now we have to trust God who we have not seen. That's what faith is. We have to trust. And if your tension is, but I'm such a sinner, yes, but God's grace is overwhelming and amazing, yes. And the only way I get to heaven is by trusting God. And you know what? Boy, I feel like trust is like a wave line. You know, like some days, have more trust. You know, God, you know, I'm kind of messed up in my life. Um, you're sure that grace is really for me? You're sure you really love me? You really forgive me? You haven't abandoned me? I really love you. I really forgive you. Okay, all right, I hear you. But now my, I'm living, are you getting this? It's okay to doubt. It's okay to go, God, I really need you. I need you. This grace I want to talk about because Acts 4 is going to talk about it when we get there. God's grace is really interesting. Because if you say, well, what is grace? It's, it's undeserved favor. God treats us better than we deserve. But it always, you can, you can say this, grace equals giving. It does. God gives us his favor. That's grace. If, if God didn't give us anything, then how do you get grace? God has to give it to us as a gift. It's a gift. So grace equals giving, but it actually equals something more, generosity. See, God is a God of generosity. God loves to give loves to give. He gives us gifts every day. He gives us the gift of breath and life and health. He gives us kindness and compassion and love and forgiveness and help, comfort, peace, strength, guidance, wisdom, direction, name it. God loves to give. Why? Because it's who he is. And it's based upon, it goes back to the first one, his grace. He just loves to, loves to give. And, and here's the struggle sometimes. It's when we stop being like overwhelmed of what grace really means. When we stop appreciating what grace is, that it's a gift, it turns into this. I'm not a sinner. I don't need God's grace. Or it turns into complacency. Oh, yeah, God's grace. Yep. It's no longer a gift. 
It's an expected. It's an entitlement. See, that's what's hard. God's grace is the most unbelievable thing in our life. To have God's forgiveness and God's grace and have a place in heaven for us because we deserve none of it. So if we no longer see the, like the incredibleness of God's grace, then we've settled into just like, ah, no big deal. And you know what I think's happening? This is just what I'm watching. I'm watching a whole society right now, instead of believing in heaven and being with God, I'm seeing our whole society as a whole kind of sliding into heaven is more like nirvana. You know what nirvana is? It's a good place you go. You go and you rest and it's peace and it's just like restful. You die and you go to this nice restful place. Rest in peace. Nice little place that you spend eternity. You don't need God there. Don't need grace to get there. Just don't be a wicked, evil, terrible, rotten, no good, very bad person and you're going to get the nirvana. You're going to get there. And that's where our whole society is going towards. Why do we need God? We got, we got nirvana. We're good. And yet when we read the scriptures, it's so different. I'm a despicable sinner. But God in his grace and love forgives us. And he wants to spend eternity with us. That's an amazing place. And the opposite is a place void of God, completely void of God and everything that God is. And it just seems like our society is saying, if we can just, if we can just somehow like forget about hell, pretend it doesn't exist, then what do we need God for? We don't. We just live our lives. And then when we die, we rest in peace. That's not grace. Grace is recognizing who I really am. I'm a sinner saved by God's grace. And I don't deserve it. Okay, you got John 3. Here's where I want to look at it. Look at John 3.16. You know this verse, but would you read it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All right, I want to unpack this for a brief moment. God so loved the world that he gave. His motivation was love, and he gave. And what did he give? Was there anything that God could give that was more, anything more precious or more valuable to him than his own son? Nothing, nothing was more valuable for God to give to us. And what did we do? We crucified him. Boy, how God didn't take planet Earth and throw it like a baseball into oblivion after doing that? I'll never understand, but that's grace. That's grace. But here's what I also want you to see. As an expression of his love, he gave. He gave. And maybe you've done this before. When I was uh, in college on youth ministry, 
we would have all the youth interject their name. For God so loved, and then you put your name in there. For God so loved Ed that he gave his one and only son. But here's a little twist to this today. I want you to put your name in it, but put it at the beginning. For you, your name, you so loved God that you gave. Ooh, that's different. Ooh, that's really different. If God expressed his love to us in giving his son, how do I express my love for God by giving what? Oh, that'll get you. Think about that one all week. What are you giving as an expression of your love for God? Are you giving your time so God can use you? Are you giving your talents? Are you giving part of your wealth as an expression of your love for God? Interesting. And what do you think of this? If you give a little, are you loving a little? If you give a lot, are you loving a lot? Do you remember this story in Mark chapter 12 about the woman? You can start turning to Acts 4. But I want to read you this story about what Jesus said about this woman in Mark 12. So just listen. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. How much does she love God? Fully. She gave what she had to God. It's an interesting thing to think about. All right, now you're going to understand why we're talking about this. Acts 4, as we continue our story, turn, go to verse 32. So it's a new church, brand new church. Um, there we're only a few months after the resurrection of Jesus, okay? So we're, we're probably in the summer months, early summer. That the gospel of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the word is really getting out. The disciples are healing, and God is bringing, by the thousands, he's bringing them into a relationship with him. And so as they're in a relationship now with each other, it's changing their life. And this is going to be good for us to think about how is our life changed because of Jesus. So verse, chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers, these were new believers, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I want to stop there. 
What was going on? Their life was impacted by the grace of God and a natural response to understanding the grace is giving, like sharing, giving. You don't, shouldn't surprise us, for God so loved the world that he gave. And they began to share. They began to share everything. It was an expression of, wow, God's radically done some things in my life. And they just began to share. Now I'm going to go again, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. As, as they preached about the resurrection, lives were changed. Because the very people that they were being that they were preaching to were probably also the ones who were yelling, crucify Jesus. And now they're hearing that he's really alive. That's convicting. And then they became believers. And then they're responding. All right, now this this next verse. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. If you want to memorize a verse, would you memorize this one? And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. That is a verse that has gone over my in my mind, over and over and over and over. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Can we say that about us? That God's grace, gift of salvation, gift of heaven, is so powerfully at work among us, that there's no needy person in our community? It's a good question. I will tell you the reason why as a church we are so heavily invested in this community is because of this. Why are we involved in so many different ways in people's life through our community ministries? The garage, the bridge, I mean, pivot point, East, you know, early current education, gateway, all the different ways that we're involved in a community. Why? Because God's grace is so powerfully at work through the church that the church has responded in trying to help meet the needs of people in our community so that we wouldn't have a needy person. Now, I know it's complicated because they were just handing it out. And handing it out is not the best way to do things. And the government hands things out. And lots of agencies hand things out. That's not always the best way to do it. But we found it a way that really protects a person's dignity and allows them to meet their own family's needs. And I would tell you that we can look at this verse and say, God's grace is so powerfully at work that we as a church are responding But here's my question. Are you responding? Are you responding to God's grace? Collectively, yes. How about individually? 
is God grabbing your heart with this conviction of what God has done for you that you have to respond. You have to. Now, here's a sobering thought. I want you to just think about for a moment. Um, Think about uh, what you're going to have in 10 years. What are you going to have in 10 years? Let's increase it, 25 years. Some of you are like, I'm not going to be here in 25 years. Exactly. What are you going to have in 25 years? All your stuff will be in the landfill or on somebody else's hands. All your money will be in somebody else's hands. How about 50 years? What are you going to have? 75. If you're just born, maybe 100. But you know what happens to all of us? It's like Florida. It's all going to wind up in a landfill. So if everything we own and all the money that we have is going to wind up in someone else's hands or in a landfill, what do you really own? You can't take it with you. What do you own? Nothing. You're a steward of what God has given you. That's all we are. We're a steward. And I think the question we all have to ask as we live our life is the thing that is, is what God has entrusted me, what have I done with it to help one more person get to heaven? Answer that question for yourself. What has God, what are you doing with what God gives you? Including your time. You're still alive, you're here. What are you doing with your time to help somebody else hear about Jesus? What are you doing with your money to help one more person hear about Jesus? What are you doing with your car, your wealth, your home, everything, everything, your talents? What are you doing with it all to help one more person get to heaven? Because we're just a steward. And we leave it all behind. And it might be today you leave it all behind. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. See, when God's grace gets a hold of us, it changes us. And you realize, what's my life? It's a short amount of time in the scope of eternity. I've heard it said this way. That if you, and I did this one time, take a beaker and a drop of water, and um, one drop of water for every day, 365 drops, see how many you got. Now multiply that times 100 and see how little water you have. That's your life compared to eternity, which is an ocean. This is nothing. What are we doing with the time that we have on planet Earth to help somebody else get to heaven? And the only reason why we do that is because God has radically grabbed our hearts with a thing called grace. And he wants us to spend our life and what we have and what he's entrusted us to help more and more and more people get to heaven. So there's a story Chapter 5, this is part of our lesson for today. I just want to read it, and then we'll wrap up. 
Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, not a big deal. I mean, let's just say you sell a piece of property for $100,000, you, you keep $10,000, you give $90,000 away. Not a big deal. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to, just to human beings, but to God. Now, if you're confused, so was I. We'll find out what happened here. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, just try not to stand in judgment like this seems harsh. In the early church, and it was just beginning, what they did is they came to the disciples and said, we sold our land for 90000 we're giving you 90000 But they didn't. I'm making up the numbers, but they sold it for 100. But they said we sold it for 90. So what they were trying to, they were deceptive. They were lying to the disciples. They were lying, saying, we're giving you all the money. No, they didn't. See their talk? didn't match their walk. Their talk is, look at what we did. Their walk was, we're holding back. And it's a good reminder for us. It's just a good reminder for us. 